Uh, today, we're going to wrap up our series called Jesus Said What? Jesus Said What? We've been spending a few weeks, four weeks, uh, looking at some of the difficult teachings of Jesus. What is it that Jesus said? What did he mean? And then how does that really impact our lives? What do we do about that? Um, and so this week, we're going to look at one more of those. Now, I started this off the series talking about some language barriers that happen because I'm from Oklahoma. And so I thought I would do that one more time. Uh, I remember when I started dating my wife, Heather, she's from St. Louis, from North County. And so when she went to Oklahoma for the first time, it was like going to another country and uh, having to learn another language. And at times still, my dad has a very thick Southern draw. And so sometimes my wife is very polite and answers and yes, and doesn't always fully know maybe what he's saying because it's difficult, especially on the phone. And so I thought about some of the things that we say in Oklahoma. And so I want to do something just really quickly. Uh, what, what happens is, is a lot of words get mixed into just one word. Uh, it's convenient. It makes it quick. And so here's the fir first one. G-jet. Anyone know? Did you eat yet? Yeah. Why would you say, did you eat yet? When you can just say G-jet. All right. All right. Here's the next one. Twirly tweet. Too early to eat? Right? It's so long. Why would you say too early to eat when you can say twirly tweet? And then the next one is one of my favorites. Uh, you want to, right? So some of you have heard this one, right? Do you want to, right? So here's what happens in Oklahoma and in the South. You, you take a bunch of words and you push them together into one word. So the past four weeks, we've looked at lots of words that Jesus says. Full passages, lots of words. Today, we're going to look at 17 words. Not a lot. 17 words. And we heard it, actually. Eric, uh, Greg uh, read um, the, the passage for today. We're looking at 17 words. And at one point, we have four words, but Jesus would have only said one word. One word. And that one word that Jesus says carries a lot of weight. And so we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to be looking at Matthew uh, 14. We, we read it just a second ago, 22 through 33. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a red one around you. That's our gift to you. You can have that. Again, it'll be on page 970. Uh, before we get to that part, uh, I want to set us up. So Jesus, often when he would move about, there would be large crowds that would follow him. They would push in against him. See, people wanted to be around Jesus. They had heard about Jesus, so they wanted to be next to Jesus. They wanted to touch Jesus. They wanted to be touched by Jesus. Uh, they wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. And so a lot of times these crowds would follow, and these crowds would be, bring their sick. And so the sick would come, and they would be healed. So there was this movement that was taking place, and there were hundreds, thousands of people who would move along with Jesus. At one point, just right after this, as he's healing people or before what we're going to look at today, um, there's a group of people and he realizes, look, we have no food. Everyone's getting hungry. What, what do we have? And he basically takes a little boy's Lunchable. He doesn't get much, but he gets a little bit from this little boy. And he feeds 5,000 people with a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish. Now, here's what I want to point out. His disciples, his followers, those who are committing to learn what it means to follow Jesus, would have seen him do all of these unbelievable things. I mean, can you imagine, like, the people on the outside of the crowd would have heard and they would have seen, but, but this was the inner circle. Like, they would have been spending time with Jesus when no one else was around. They would have heard everything that he said and experienced everything that he did. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, it's hard for us sometimes to, to really have this massive faith because it's, it's difficult. Let's just be honest. It's difficult. We don't hear directly from God audibly, and, and, and so we, we have other ways of hearing from God. And so it's hard at times. But these people were with Jesus all the time. 
all the time. And so now we get to the point where we're going to see what, what takes place. Matthew 14, 22 through 31. So Jesus has been healing and he's been feeding. And now verse 22. I'm just going to teach through this verse by verse. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. This is extremely significant and it would be easy for us just to kind of blow past this part. Jesus had more people to heal. He had more things to do. He had more ways to teach. He had more conversations to have. Yet in this moment, in the busyness of his life, he kind of hits the pause button. He says, I, I have to get away. I have to be by myself. I have to hear from my father. He needed that time to connect. He needed alone time. Maybe he just needed time away from his disciples, right? Maybe he just needed a little bit of alone time. And this is what I'm learning. Sometimes it's, it's difficult is that if Jesus needs that, then I do too. I mean, if Jesus, the, the son of God who was doing all these unbelievable things, if he needs to stop for a moment, I probably do too. You, you probably do too. Now, I know not everyone in here would, would say that they're a Christian or a follower of Jesus, but specifically if you are, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, and there are not moments in your day, in your week, in your month where you are stopping and slowing down and reconnecting with Jesus, then we're really just working on our own power, right? If we're going to have a powerful life, we're going to have this persistent prayer with our Father. We're going to have to. If Jesus needed it, then we need it as well. This fall, so when we come back from summer and in the fall, uh, we're going to do a series on prayer because everyone probably thinks that we need to pray. Even, even people who aren't Christians at some point ask someone to pray for them, right? So prayer is this powerful things, but oftentimes like, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what that looks like. And so we're going to do a teaching series in the fall on prayer. And then we're going to give you an opportunity to have a prayer guide who will just help you figure out what it means to, to pray because it's important. It could possibly be one of the most important things that we have to figure out, that I have to figure out. And so Jesus goes away and he spends time alone. It says when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, so this would be somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., it's broken up into four watches, so somewhere between 3 and 6, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Now, this is one of those scriptures, even if you would say, I don't know hardly anything about the Bible, I haven't ever been into church, most of us at some point have heard a story about Jesus walking on the water. This is one of those familiar teachings of Jesus, and this is it. Now, let's state the obvious if we can. This is crazy. Okay, can we just be honest with one another and say that this is unbelievable what we're reading? That Jesus leaves dry land and he walks on water to get to his, he didn't grab another boat. He just walks out on the water. I'm the only one who, this is difficult at times to wrap my mind around that this is what Jesus does. It might be really hard for you to believe, but here's what I'm learning and this is what I would say. He who has created it controls it, All right? So he who has created it controls it. And so I believe in a God who spoke things into existence. He speaks things into existence. He says words and our galaxies are formed. He speaks words and our land and our water is made. And so if God has created it, then he controls it. So if I believe that God has sent Jesus and Jesus is 
fully man, but, f but fully God, that he has the ability to control what he has created. At one point, the disciples are on a boat in the lake, in the, in the sea with Jesus, and this storm comes up. And the disciples become very afraid, and Jesus is still taking a nap. And they go and they wake up Jesus, and he, they say, aren't you afraid? Don't, don't you know that we could die? And he kind of, kind of gives them a word, and kind of like we're going to hear in a moment. And then he speaks to the wind and the waves, and they obey him. He speaks to the wind and the waves, and it obeys him. Now, here, here's their response is, what kind of man is this? What kind of man is this that he speaks and the wind and the waves obey him? He is the man. He is the one who has been a part of this from the very beginning, who created it and controls it. Therefore, because I believe that God created all things, I believe that this actually happened. I believe that this actually happened, that Jesus literally walks on the water out to his disciples. Now, how did the disciples respond? Verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Yeah, <laughs> I, this is one of those where I'm like, that's how I would probably respond as well. This isn't that deep. This is just one of those moments where the disciples have no category to put this in. They've never experienced anything like this before. They're out in a boat, middle of the night, early morning. It's dark, the waves are moving, and they see something coming towards them. Remember, the waves are against the boat, which possibly means but there, that there has been, that there is a storm. And this is their current context, and they see this coming, and they are afraid. They're afraid. Verse 27. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Now, a little thing to recognize here is that Jesus knows what's going on in the boat. We're not sure how far Jesus is away from the boat, but I'm thinking he's a considerable distance away. It's hard for the disciples to make him out, so he's pretty far away. And so something happens where Jesus knows that the disciples are afraid. And so instead of avoiding it, he cries out to them. I don't think this is a whisper. I don't think this is a normal voice. He calls out to the disciples, take courage. It's I, don't be afraid. He speaks into their life, into their moment, what they're going through. Now, this is what I believe, and this is what I've experienced in my own life, that as I sit on the boat and I become afraid and things are going on around me, that Jesus has spoken directly into my life where I am, that I'm not alone. When things come up and I'm afraid or I'm worried or I'm anxious or whatever it is, that Jesus speaks directly into what I'm going through, that I'm not alone. And he says, Kyle, take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. He enters directly into where you are. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. This is a Peter says what moment, right? Like that, that Peter in the moment, I could have thought of a lot of things. Oh, good, Jesus, it's you. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to wait for you to make your way over to the boat. But that's not what Peter does. For some reason, for some reason, Peter has this bold request. All right, Lord, if, it, if it's you, then tell me to come to you on the water. Now, this is where I think it's really important to point out that, that Jesus just says, it's I. It's I. And something happens in Peter where he says, I think I recognize that voice. 
I think I recognize that voice. He knows the voice of Jesus. Uh, I'm going to tell a story, and some of you have heard this story. I told it years ago. It's one of my favorite stories to, to share, and I think it, every time I teach anything close to this passage, I, I share this story. Uh, when Heather first got pregnant with Kennedy, our 10-year-old daughter, uh, my mentor, one of my best friends, uh, comes to me and says, you need to speak to Heather's belly. You need to speak to the, the baby in the womb. And I'm like, uh, what? Why in the world would I speak to my wife's belly and the baby in the womb? It doesn't matter. You just need to do it. Okay, so I just got to tell you, the first few times I did that, that was extremely uncomfortable and odd, all right? She's not real pregnant. I got my face down at my wife's belly. Hey, baby, it's your daddy. I mean, what do you say to something tiny? I don't know. And so I just continued to do this over and over and over. And we didn't know what we were having, but just the more the baby grew, the more I would begin to do it. And we found out we're having a girl, right? So now it's, hey, baby girl, it's your daddy, Kennedy. It's your, I cannot wait to meet you. And then it happened. It happened to where I'm down at Heather's belly and I'm, I'm, I'm talking to Kennedy and she moves. Now, I don't know why she moved, but for me, I like to think she heard my voice, right? She heard my voice and she responded to her daddy's voice and she moved. And then it was on after that. It was like every chance I had, I'm like, oh, Kennedy, I can't wait. This is what we're going to do. And I would talk to her and we'd be out in public and sometimes. And so we would, we, I, would talk to, I would talk to her belly. I would talk to her belly. Now, November comes, and it's, it's time for, for Kennedy to enter into our world. And, and Heather had a horrible pregnancy, sick almost the entire nine months and throwing up. And so she starts having contractions and throwing up. And so the doctor calls us in. And so we get into the hospital, and 47 hours later, uh, Kennedy is born. I suffered through all 47 hours. Um, <laughs> She slept with medicine. No, she was, she was great. But, but Kennedy comes. Kennedy, Kennedy comes. And they, they, they take Kennedy and they, they put Kennedy on, on Heather's chest. For the first moment, I get to see my baby girl. The first thing I say is, Kennedy, it's your daddy. We have this on video. Kennedy, it's your daddy. And as much as a little baby can, she opens her eyes and she kind of turns her head and she turns her attention to me and it just melted me in that moment and and honestly I, I don't know what happened i don't know if it had anything to do with my voice but for me it was this moment of i felt like she recognized the voice of her father because she had heard it over and over and over something happens to peter where he hears a voice coming he doesn't know for sure who it is but he hears this voice and he says man lord if it's you then i'm going to make this bold request tell me to come to you Tell me to come to you and I will come on the water. Now for you, I don't know how you recognize the voice of God. I know some other voices you hear. I know some voices that tell you you're a failure, that you've tried things and you've failed. I know you've heard people tell you that you're a disappointment. And so when, when you struggle or you go through anything, that's the voice you hear, is that you're a disappointment. You, you've heard that it's your fault. That whatever happened, it was your fault. That there was abuse or divorce or whatever happened, that it was your fault. And you listen and you hear that voice over and over, that you're unlovable, that you're a mistake. Those voices are all around us. That you'll never be anything, that you'll never succeed. We hear those voices and those voices are very loud to us. It's hard to hear a different voice sometimes that says that you're loved, that you belong, that your life has purpose 
and meaning, that your past is your past. It's hard to hear that voice sometimes. And so let me encourage you to begin trying to hear that voice, to begin reading the scriptures. You can read the Bible and you can hear the voice of God through that, the truth that's in there. Sometimes our feelings, what, what is God saying to us through our feelings or our emotions? God wants to speak to you and say that you're loved in the midst of all these other voices. And so Peter hears the voice and says, tell me to come. Now, isn't this a bad idea? <laughs> like, right? Isn't this a bad idea? As I said before, he knows it's him. He's, he's coming to him, but, but something happens. And Peter says, I want to come to you. I want to come to you. Verse 29, come, come. This is what Jesus says. Come, he said. And Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Okay, so now everything is crazy, right? So Jesus walking on the water is one thing, but now something is happening where Peter now has the ability to walk on the water. Now, when we talk about Peter, if you've been around the church, you've read the Bible, and this may be new to some of you, but when we talk about this guy, Peter, who was a real person, who lived a real life, who really walked with Jesus, when we talk about Peter, we often talk about a couple things. We talk about how he denied ever knowing Jesus, so in the last days of Peter's life, uh, of Jesus's life, uh, Peter denies ever being with Jesus. Like we talk about that a lot. We actually talk a lot about Jesus or about Peter sinking. Right? We, we, we read it a second ago. We, we know that, that Peter begins to, to sink. We don't talk about this part a lot, but Peter walks on water. This takes a massive amount of faith to believe that if Jesus says to come, that Peter is going to be able to come. That he's not gonna step out of the boat and immediately sink, that he steps out of the boat and he puts his foot on water as if he's putting it on dry land. He walks on the water. Now, can you imagine the other 11 disciples? They're in the boat, they're like, this is not gonna go well, right? He, he's stepping over, maybe some of them are like, Peter, just, just hold on, just don't go. And, and Peter doesn't listen to any of them. And the 11 disciples stay safely on the boat. They stay full, uh, fully in their comfort zone. It takes no faith at all for them. But Peter, full of faith, steps out of the boat and begins to walk towards Jesus. Verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Now, isn't there always a but? Isn't there always, like, in the scriptures, in your own life, like, you might have been at one point, you're like, man, I was doing so well, but I was taking care of myself, I was exercising, I was eating, but finances were going well, you were able to put some money aside, but you finally got the job, but you changed your life, you're moving in the right direction. There's always, and so in the scriptures, Peter is walking on the water, but he begins to recognize what he's doing, doesn't he? He begins to recognize that he is literally walking on the water, and he feels the wind on his face, and he feels the water on his legs, and he begins to sink. See, here's what happens: Peter takes his attention and his focus off of Jesus. He takes his attention and his focus off of Jesus and he begins to put his attention on his circumstances. And when that happens, he begins to sink. See, Peter's focus is determining his reality. 
Peter's focus is determining his reality. While Peter is focusing on Jesus, he's walking on the water. But when life hits him, he turns his attention to other things and he begins to be distracted and drawn away. It's like you've ever put yourself in a situation where you know you're going to be afraid. I've shared before I'm afraid of heights. And so anytime I get into a high place, I'd say the same thing over and over. Don't look down. Don't look down. Don't look down. I love roller coasters. I put my face like this. I don't look around. When you start going, I'm all about it. But, but in the moment, don't look down. Because our focus, what you focus on will determine your reality. And that's happening for Peter. What distracts you? What gets in the way? When you begin to follow Jesus and you, maybe for some of you, you're following Jesus, something has gotten in the way. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's peer pressure. Maybe it's this thought where you're trying to go one direction, but everyone around you is trying to get you to go a different direction. Maybe it's just the responsibilities of life. You put your attention on seeking God, but then just responsibilities happen and you get drawn away. Maybe it's pain and suffering. Maybe it's sickness for yourself or someone around you. I'm walking with several people right now who are dealing with this. Sickness of the people in their life that they love and they care for. But as I'm with them, as I talk to them, their focus is completely 100% on Jesus. It doesn't mean that life isn't happening. It doesn't mean that they're not scared. It doesn't mean that they're not worried. It doesn't mean that they're not afraid of something happening to the one they love. But as they talk, their focus is on Jesus, and that is setting up their reality. So what we are focusing on will determine our reality. And this happened 2,000 years ago, but I still believe Jesus is inviting us to come to him, to come to him, to step out of the boat, to step out of our comfort zones, to step out of our safety, and to say 100%, Jesus, I'm following you, whatever that looks like, wherever that leads me, I will trust completely in you. I don't want to be like the 11 disciples who sit safely on the boat. And Peter, the one who has actually a massive amount of, of faith, gets kind of a bad rap for this. That he begins to sink. See, for many Christians, for many of us, you're stuck in a comfort zone. You're comfortable. You go to work nine to five, you do your thing, you have your family. We're comfortable. And that, that's okay. But where in that comfortable life are you, am I, relying completely on Jesus to come through for me? Where do I have an opportunity to fail? Where do I have an opportunity to fail unless Jesus comes through 100%? What does that look like in my own life? What does that look like for you? See, here's the choice. It's between comfort and growth. Like you can fully say you're a follower of Jesus and live a comfortable life. You can. Or you can say, I'm going to follow Jesus and I want to grow every day. So Jesus, God, challenge me. Point out the things in my life that are different. Take me into areas. Call, put a call on my life to do something greater than I can do on my own. See, I think comfort could possibly be one of the most dangerous things for us. Being comfortable could be one of the most dangerous things for us. Comfort quite possibly means just stagnant. Just means stagnant. Uh, it, it means not moving, dull, motionless. I unclogged a sink yesterday in my house. It was horrible. The smell was, was horrible. Just this stagnant water that takes place. And for many of us, for many of us who confess to follow Jesus, who are at one point are, were in a boat or in a, on a boat, and we've said, all right, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, whatever that looks like. I just don't want to step out of the boat. I'm going to stay comfortable. I'm going to stay safe and do what I can on my own. 
power. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. And many of us will make decisions that we will fully regret. That we'll fully regret. I saw a video uh, just a couple of weeks ago. They set up a chalkboard in a, a common place in a city park with the words, what do you regret? What do you regret? And the common theme from people was putting the word not in there. So it wasn't things that they did that they regretted. What they regretted was not doing things, not pursuing dreams, not forgiving, right? Not doing what they were supposed to do. Like we often think if I just don't do bad things and I just keep my eyes focused, if I just do what I'm supposed to do, everything will be okay. But when we get to the end of our life, and I've seen this too many times, the regrets that we have are the things that we didn't do, the chances that we didn't take. And so Peter gets out of the boat and he walks towards Jesus, fully knowing that every step there was an opportunity to sink. And in the moment he takes his attention away from Jesus, he begins to sink. Did he fail? Did he fail? I mean, where are you in your life risking things? Where in your life are you willing to fail? Where would you go if you weren't afraid of failing? What would you do? What would you start? What would you be a part of if you weren't afraid of failing? Like specifically, I was just thinking this week of some things I know some of you do and, and just some of those things that maybe God is, is calling some of us to do, but a lot of people here are fostering babies. That's not easy. It doesn't always go well. But for several people, they've taken a step and said, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how it's always going to work, but Lord, I'm going to trust in you. And they're fostering babies. Maybe it's changing jobs. Maybe it's changing jobs or maybe it's going back to school. For some of you, you've hit a point in your life where you've said, all right, I want life to look different. I think God is calling me into a different area. And so you, maybe you're going back to school. Maybe it's just inviting someone into this space to come back to church, maybe for the first time in a long time. Maybe it's telling someone about how Jesus has had an impact on you. That could be scary and difficult, but maybe you'd fully rely on him. Maybe giving financially to someone or something or starting a business or volunteering. Like maybe what is it in your life where you would say, look, I want to step out on faith and I'm going to trust that God is going to see me through this. It doesn't mean you'll always succeed. It doesn't mean it will always work. But what you say is, God, you will see me through this. Mark Batterson's a pastor in the D.C. area. Uh, he said this, it's better to be sinking than to be sitting. It's better to be sinking than to be sitting. May we be a people who boldly step out of the boat, who fully trust that God is going to see us through it. When things get difficult, when the wind hits our face, when the waves come around us, when life happens, may we do what Peter did and cry out, Lord, save me. Verse 31, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Immediately, immediately. I'm thankful that the writer put this word in there immediately. It's not that Jesus sees that he's, he's not trusting him in the moment and he lets him kind of sink down, you know, just far enough where Peter thinks his life is over. He doesn't yell out to Peter to swim back to the boat. Immediately, Jesus reaches out and he saves him. He rescues Peter. When we read the scriptures, when we read about Jesus, we see that Jesus is a rescuer, that God is a rescuing God that he rescues us from our bad decisions, that he rescues us from when we fail to recognize him, he rescues us from our sins, he rescues us when we cry out to him. God has sent Jesus on a rescue mission. And for some of you, that might be your next step to realize the God who loved you so much would send his son to rescue you, to rescue you from yourself. 
from your own selfishness, from your own pride. He sends Jesus to rescue us. Have you cried out to him? Has there been a moment where you've said, all right, Lord, save me. Save me in the midst of what I am going through. And then after it catches Peter, he says these words, you of little faith. Now that's it. You of little faith actually would have just been one word that he would have spoke to Peter. And it means more precisely in the original language, you've trusted so little. You've trusted so little. And when I've read this in the past, he says, you know, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? I've often read this with like an angry tone. Like Jesus was mad at Peter. I don't know why that was. I think that comes back to how we view a father, how we view God. And, and so I, I used to read it that way, but, but now I read it in more of a loving, patient way. Peter, why, why'd you doubt? Why did you trust so little? Didn't I tell you to come? Did, didn't I tell you to have courage? Don't you, don't you trust in my character and who I am? And he reaches down and he rescues. I don't think he's angry with Peter. I think in this moment, he is fully loving him and asking him why he has trusted so little. Verse 32, when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Now, this isn't the end for Peter. Like, I can only imagine as Peter gets on the boat, the other disciples are like, dude, you just sank in front of Jesus, right? You just completely failed. He called you out for it. Like, I don't know what happens in that moment. I don't know if Peter sits down full of despair thinking, all right, my life is over. He probably begins to hear that voice as we talked about, like, oh, I had my shot and I failed. Just two chapters later in the Bible, Jesus tells Peter, you're the rock. You're the rock and I'm gonna build my church on you and the gates of hell will not overcome it. This is Peter, who just sank in front of Jesus. Jesus called him out for not trusting enough. This is Peter, who denies ever knowing Jesus. Peter, the one that Jesus calls a rock and says, look, I'm gonna build my church on you. So just because Peter in a moment struggled, just because Peter in a moment doesn't have the faith, doesn't have the trust to stay walking on the water, it doesn't ruin his future. So I don't know what it is for you. I don't know where you've tried and you failed and you thought God's probably angry with me. I didn't obey. I had little faith. Maybe it's when someone was sick or in situations. Just hear me say today that it doesn't ruin your future. That I believe that Jesus still, even today, would say, get out of the boat. Come. And I've been experiencing that in a lot of ways. Melissa talked earlier about feeding these kids. I've had conversations with people and I'm like, look, we're going to make this happen. I didn't know how. I didn't know how. I don't have the resources. I didn't know if they'd want to come here and have our space. I don't even know the logistics. And look, we may open our doors and we may have two kids come. I have no idea. But all I know is I, I don't want to be sitting safely in a comfort zone of being uh, in, in a place where we can't fail. Not only personally, but as a church. Let's be a group of people who have so much trust that Jesus is really going to come through for us whether it's two kids or 200 kids, that I'm gonna trust that I'm gonna step out of the boat and Jesus is gonna be there with me, that I'm not gonna rely on my own power. And so what is it for you? What is it for you today that he would say, get out of the boat, take a chance, trust fully in me? What is that for you? Would you pray with me? God, thank you for today. Thank you for um, really this call that you put on my life to trust you completely. And at times, Lord, I fail 
Uh, I rely on my own power, my own strength, my own charisma, my, my own me. I, I want to do things on my own. And, and Lord, I know I fail when I do that. And help us to put our focus on you, which will determine our reality. God, would you encourage my friends here today who know some decisions that they need to make? Some bold faith decisions. I pray you'd encourage them to do that today. And then as a church, Lord, uh, we pray for any kid who walks through these doors this summer. We pray, Lord, that you'd bring families to us, that we'd be able to be, meet a tangible need of hunger in our communities. We talked about last week. We know people are hungry. Help, help us serve those who are hungry in our community. Let this be an opportunity to love those around us. God, help us not to be safe or comfortable. Help us to trust you completely. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. See you next week.